Thank you very much for brilliantly illustrating the international component to democracy. And nothing makes it more credible than to hear it from the people who are working and promoting this themselves in their daily practice as an ongoing activity. It is a great responsibility for us who study democracy. There's a heavy weight of history loaded upon us to maintain the ideals and the principles embedded in constitutional democracy. But I think we have seen that this cannot be undertaken within individual systems. We have seen the weight of history has worked against this. Precisely how you do it is, of course, an experiment, but we are witnessing probably the best experiment ever being conducted in Europe of trying to maintain a democratic discourse through bodies rep by representatives who have a popular mandate, but who are operating at the international level and therefore maintaining the communication and the openness across systems, regardless of the credentials on the ground, but making sure always to monitor, to, go, to tell people what the standards are and should be. This is not paternalism. This is a democratic discourse. And that democratic discourse, we all have an obligation to, to uh, sustain. And you have also reached out and show how you relate to society and to be grounded in the sense. And therefore, it is an encompassing kind of discourse. So um, we are now opening for uh, questions and answers. We greatly encourage you to engage in, in the debate. We need to be finished by quarter to six. And I would also like to, to tell you that you can direct your questions to both presidents, also to President Ulemich Thomason. So, so you have a bicephalous system here of presidents that you can direct your questions at. So, so the floor is open. At the back. I'd like to ask you how the... Please, uh, sorry, uh, please introduce yourself. Yes, my name is Christian, Christian Bott, Christian Bott from the Could you say a few words about how the Council of Europe views the situation in, uh, in Hungary for the moment and what sort of threat uh, that might represent to the uh, ideas of democracy and the democ democratic parliamentarians' situation? The... Uh Situation in Hungary or the development in uh, Hungary is uh, very worrying. Uh, it started when uh, the uh, majority uh, took the majority in order to, to block things. It's important, of course, you have a majority and you have an opposition, but the majority never can have an abuse of this majority. And that's what they tried to do in order to set up mechanisms for the next majority which wouldn't have uh, these, uh, these numbers that it would be impossible to change anything. And that is very dangerous because that was not meant by having the game of majority and opposition. And that's why that's going to be one of the themes or, uh, we are going to have tomorrow and uh, on Friday with the speakers of the parliament. That was uh, one step. And now uh, the next steps being taken, especially uh, concerning human rights uh, defenders organization and about the funding of Norway uh, towards those organizations, uh, it's really more than, uh, than worrying. And we had, uh, uh, last year, we had a big debate uh, on uh, asking 
to, uh, for Hungary to be monitored again, because a number of countries who haven't uh, yet met the requirements of the standards of the Council of Europe are under monitoring, and some, uh, some countries are out. But that does not mean that the monitoring procedure could start again. But then in a, uh, a majority turned that idea down, so the monitoring procedure was not uh, opened again. But we decided to have now a report to have a follow-up of the situation uh, in, uh, in Hungary. And the uh, Political Affairs Committee is going to meet uh, now uh, during our October uh, session. And the latest developments concerning your relations, and I had it with the uh, Minister for European Affairs uh, and also with uh, uh, President Thomason, we discussed on that matter. I think we take that uh, also back to the rapporteur. Of course, I'm, I'm not telling the rapporteur what he has to do, but to take all those, in, that, those information back because it's uh, so important uh, and also to tell our Hungarian friends that the way they are choosing is not the way a democracy uh, can work and that civil society must have the right to speak out and if a country like Norway uh, is supporting uh, civil uh, society <coughs> that you can't blame them for that and say well you are supporting uh, the uh, opposition well uh, of course uh, every uh, country needs an opposition and that shows the weakness of the system if you really can't as a sound democracy uh, challenge also the opposition and having good relations that's uh, not uh, that's not positive so i hope that together uh, with our hungarian friends we will manage uh, to have a change of the tendency and also together with the eu because they are members of the eu as well so we all have responsibilities into that Okay, there was a question here. Thank you. Uh, my name is Gyri Rosen. I'm from Arena, Centre for European Studies. I've been studying the role of the European Parliament in external relations. And the reaction I often get is that, why do you look at parliaments? I mean, this is a matter for national governments. Foreign policy is a matter for national governments. Which is why I would very much like to ask you, what do you see is the main role of parliamentarians and parliamentary assemblies at the international arena, and perhaps also the... Uh, if I take national parliaments and I leave that up to, uh, to you, and I answer for uh, international parliamentary uh, assemblies, I think it's a unique opportunity, and I think that my colleagues are sharing uh, this with me, to have an interparliamentary platform, and that we can discuss and meet uh, with uh, people from different horizons. And each country has its history, its culture, and we have to respect it. Otherwise, we would have one constitution for all countries and the same uh, laws. No, you have to see it in the context. And the parliamentarians are the lawmakers, and they are those who are controlling the government. So it's important that you have an international platform as well to have a look and to monitor the countries to uh, see whether they meet the standards and the uh, requirements uh, of the countries and uh, that's why it's important and especially if there is a crisis. I think that the, uh, uh, the Council of Europe and its parliamentary assembly 
is more important than ever today because we are facing all those crises. And in order to meet with our uh, counter, uh, counterparts and that they also can learn in our assembly how uh, the behavior is between majority and opposition. Because very often I go to, uh, to, to countries where I see that there is a very, very big divide. Of course, uh, we have different opinions on different matters, but I was in one country where the opposition didn't want to meet me in parliament. Well, they were part of the parliament. I had to go to their party uh, headquarters. And we have to tell them that we are all parliamentarians and that we have to meet at the same level and that the majority has to respect the opposition. And there we can learn from one another and uh, help the, the countries who have still that very big uh, divide for historical reasons to overcome that. So that's also on that level that uh, an interparliamentary platform is important. And on the national <coughs> way, for national parliaments, I give you the floor. Well, for national parliaments, uh, I didn't, I don't think I really understood your question, if you want me to speak about the national parliament, probably not. You, you asked about the, the importance of the international interparliamentarian work. Well, I think uh, if we agree that, which I think we do, to, uh, even though there are many differences in Europe, we agree that we would like to develop democracy and human rights as basic values for Europe. If you agree on that, I think the interparliamentarian work is so important because it's much broader than the connection between the political so environments, so to say. It's much broader in an, and much more informal in, uh, in the interparliamentarian forums, like the Council of Europe. That is where we can discuss questions connected with democracy and human rights directly with opposition, position, the different parties. That's where uh, you can, you get closer to the people in a way. And you have other angles than you will have in the strict, more formal uh, system of the di diplomacy through the governments. And I think you will also find examples, if you look, you, if you study, you will find examples where the democracy, where diplomacy, the traditional demo diplomacy is kind of losing. Then you will find that through the interparliamentarian tariq work, and you will find alternative ways of communicating, and you will find a more relaxed uh, <laughs> atmosphere, so to say, which makes communication easier. It might be an example of that now, the whole very difficult question about Russia. I think that the communication through the diplomatic governmental uh, system is very, very difficult for g very good reasons. And it's also very difficult in the interparliamentarian work. But still, I think there might be uh, some connections between politicians that are not listed, 
in Russia that would be able to, to travel or, or that would be part of international foras, it would be possible to communicate in another, on another, yeah, in another way. Thank you. There's a question up. My name is Hirsch Demetri. I'm from the European Movement in Norway. You may know, uh, Mrs. Presser, that uh, the European Movement in 1948 was one of the founding organizations of the Council of, of Europe in Den Haag. Anyway, um, my question would be uh, if you could elaborate a little bit more on how the European Union and the Council of Europe collaborates more concretely, uh, since the European Union also is promoting some of the same issues or core values and issues that you are. Uh, does, for instance, European Union have a formal status within the Council? Um. Well, the European Union decided uh, to, uh, to uh, join the European Convention for Human Rights, and we are working on that. So they are going to be part of the Convention on, on, uh, on Human Rights. That's already very important. And you said they are defending the same values. Well, fortunately, they are defending the same uh, values. But then then we have to see not to duplicate our efforts. I think there have some uh, mistakes have uh, been uh, done uh, in the past. For instance, in creating an agency uh, for uh, human rights in Vienna and uh, with, with a high representative and we have the uh, commissioner of human rights. And I always say human rights within the European Union must be the same than human rights outside the European Union. And so I think uh, it's time that uh, we uh, have a better cooperation. Uh, that works already at the parliamentary level as we try to have contacts with our counterpart, uh, for instance, at committee levels. And I have uh, a good relation with uh, Mr. Schulz, uh, the former president of the European Parliament. Uh, when I uh, got elected in January, I met him immediately and we, well, I knew him before, which made, made it a bit easier, but uh, we, we, we have a very good relation and I'm going to see him next week, uh, hopefully, uh, in order to see how we can uh, cooperate. And then there is the institutional cooperation, of course, you have to set that up, but there is also the personal cooperation. And I believe really in personal human uh, relations because policies is made by human beings so it must also address each one personally and so I think there we can do something and we have a very good cooperation in different fields with the European Union for different programs for instance uh, in Ukraine and there the Secretary General uh, Jagland he works quite well also with uh, the uh, European Commission I saw uh, I had meetings with Mr. Philip, for instance, the uh, commission, uh, Commissioner for Enlargement. And uh, Mr. Jagland has uh, very good uh, connections uh, too in order to set up common programs. So at the Council of Europe, we are running the programs uh, to develop, for instance, institutions in certain uh, countries. 
uh, and also outside uh, the uh, Council uh, of Europe with our neighbouring uh, policy, because we have the tools, we have the experts, but the Council of Europe has no money. So uh, we get funds from the, Council, uh, from the European Union in order to run those programmes. And I think that's the way we should uh, do it and continue to uh, co uh, cooperate and not to be jealous one of the others. And uh, I, I think we have a very good cooperation. And uh, now with the new commission, uh, I congratulated immediately the new uh, president, who is a compatriot of mine, and I invited him to come uh, to the January uh, session and to see also the parliamentary dimension, how we can cooperate. And we are very lucky because uh, in 2006 uh, there was a report on the importance of the Council uh, of, uh, of Europe and who was the author of that. And the relations with the EU, Jean-Claude Juncker was the author in 2006. And so I think that will help us also not because of us, but institutionally, uh, on the institutional uh, level, really to set the framework who is doing, uh, doing uh, what, but with, of course, one aim, defending our values. We have three more persons I've identified. Should we just take uh, these now and then yes. leave you yes. more time? So I, I got something to write, otherwise I forget the yeah. first one. Uh, yeah, okay. Hello. My name is Maria Lundberg. I work at the Norwegian Center for Human Rights. Thank you very much, Madame la Présidente, for your excellent speech. I would like to take up a, a contemporary question. Sweden is going for elections in these days. And in Sweden there is one smaller party, or is not so small anymore, which is coming up and it has a... Uh, may have racist, um, racist uh, ideas as a basis, which is not completely clear, actually. Um, there, I, I, I would like to first uh, try to understand how you deal with, uh, uh, with such a party, because it may be so that after the elections, this party will have a lot of things to say in the elections, while not being the big, or after elections, while not being the biggest party, actually. So it may be the weighing uh, factor in many decisions, and it may have very unfortunate outcomes, not the least for uh, immigrants, free movement of people in Europe, and so on. So how to deal with it? Because the party itself says that it doesn't have uh, uh, racist ideology as its basis, as I understand it. However, it points to individual members. During the years, individual members have been pointed to have racist utterances or racist expression or racist background, but they see it as individual. How to deal with this, um, this kind of problem? Um, uh, and then, moreover, I, I hear that you are saying that um, it's a different question, actually. I hear that you're saying the Council of Europe has very little funding, and many organiz international organizations are complaining about a lot of little funding, but is it because the states actually feel that the Council of Europe's role is, has gone out of date, because now the EU can take care of the business? Uh, third question is, um, do you speak uh, Luxembourgeois? Okay. 
we don't have much time left, so please be very brief with the questions. Onan. Yeah, I'm Onan Hillan, Professor of Economics and Decision Theory at this university. I had intended to bring up a question that you have already to some extent commented on, namely the European Union's membership in the European Convention for Human Rights. Of course, all the EU member states are already parts in the con convention. Uh, but due to the lack of time, I just ask you one precise question. Uh, how long do you think it will take before EU formally ratifies the convention? <laughs> okay. Mariana. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> My name is Marianne Ridwell. I work at Arena, Center for European Studies. Uh, and I have two questions uh, linked to the role of the Council of Europe in uh, today's Europe, so to speak, vis-a-vis -vis the other institutions. It's already been mentioned, but um, if you could maybe first elaborate a bit further on what you think should be or could be the specific tasks of the Council of Europe compared to, for instance, the EU, as already mentioned. I mean, there are even some scholars who criticize the EU for taking on too many of its tasks. So what could it do and what should it do? Uh, and um, second, uh, which might be more of a normative question, I was wondering uh, to what extent the Council of Europe can be a strong voice internationally when so many of its member states have huge democratic problems. Okay. I I, I'm sorry, we cannot accept any more questions. Um, we will please have a chance to respond. Well, uh, thank you. All those questions are very difficult to answer, but I'm at a university, and in your, uh, at a university you have to pass an exam. So I have <laughs> the feeling of, being, of having a jury in front uh, of me, but I try to, uh, I, I try, uh, to answer. The, uh, in in uh, the upcoming elections in Sweden, it is a phenomenon, not only in Sweden, but also in other countries, and I just mentioned it in my lecture, that we have right-wing parties, populist parties coming up, and there other parties have really to stand together in order to combat, uh, to combat that, because that is really a threat. I take France, for instance. Uh, if you uh, look at Marine Le Pen, Marine Le Pen... Uh, she was on the River Moselle, uh, where uh, she had the Schengen Treaty, and she said, I'm, and uh, Schengen is at the River Moselle, so it was in front of Schengen, and she said, I'm just destroying the Schengen Treaty, we don't want it. And then people were applauding. Of course, I was not there, but I would have told her, then get out of here, but he, be, because here is Luxembourg territory. If you don't want Schengen, you can't come. And now all the French people, commuters coming into Luxembourg to work in Luxembourg, then it will be over. So all those populists uh, are very dangerous, and not only uh, in Sweden. And if they are then uh, a small party and uh, helping a, to, a majority, to, to, to help other parties to get a majority, and if you have to compose with that, it is a difficult question. It's also a, a question of the composition of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. We had a big debate uh, because uh, the, uh, we had the credentials of two delegations challenged. 
uh, the Hungarian, because there we had a, a, a nationalist of, of, of that ter no, I shouldn't say that, uh, but uh, no, he, the, the way he behaved, he, he, he had a, a, a T-shirt of separatism and, and, and things like that, but I didn't ask him to, to, uh, to, to, uh, to take it off because I was afraid he would really take it off. And <laughs> so if you, if, you, if, you chair, if you chair an assembly, you have to be careful what you're doing because he was just provoking. No, we had a representative of, of, of that party and also one from the Golden Dawn, uh, the neo-Nazi party uh, of, uh, of Greece. So that was challenged. Could we then tell at the Council of Europe not having them there because they were elected people in their national parliaments and as we have a rule that national delegations in the parliamentary assembly must be composed of both majority and opposition and so that all elected members have access. So we decided not uh, to uh, forbid them to come and, and not to challenge their uh, cred credentials. So, and I think it's better to have them in and to talk with them and to try to, to, to have arguments instead of uh, for, uh, forbidding uh, them. But it is really uh, a, a big uh, challenge uh, for us and those, uh, of course, nobody is uh, racist, but if you see then uh, certain statements, uh, they uh, really uh, are. And that's why I say we have to stick together to combat that, and those campaigns really, uh, uh, really help. Then uh, the, uh, well, the funding of the Council of Europe. We have a zero uh, nominal uh, uh, growth, which means that we have less and less uh, money. But fortunately, we have a mechanism of voluntary contributions. And I told your Minister of, of uh, European Affairs that I'm grateful to the Norwegian authorities that you are funding a number of programs of the Council of Europe on a voluntary uh, basis. But we have to convince uh, the, the bigger countries, uh, who are, of course, the big donors, to make more efforts, and that's why I'm going to through the capitals uh, now in order to tell them. And I think the Council of Europe is not outdated, especially now, because if I look at all the threats we are facing, it has become more important th than ever. And of course, for that, we don't, we don't need a tremendous increase but, uh, of our budget, but at least we, we, we need a minimum in order to, uh, uh, to, uh, to function. And then you asked uh, one, one word about my language. Yes, I have a mother tongue. It's Lutzebueyish. And uh, uh, we don't, uh, at the Council of Europe, we have two official languages. Uh, English and uh, French, adding to that, and that's another distinction with the EU, uh, because there you speak all, all, uh, all 23 languages, but Luxembourg is not an official language recognized in the EU. So there we have also to speak foreign languages. But at the Council of Europe you have English and French, and then uh, as official languages, and you have three working languages, which are uh, German, Italian and uh, Russian. That makes it for non-native speakers more difficult because when we have to speak, uh, we have to uh, address us in a, diff uh, in a, a foreign uh, language. And when I look at our, uh, our uh, colleagues from the UK or the French, 
they have, are of course privileged. But I think we managed to uh, do that. But we have a known language and uh, in our parliament we speak Luxembourgish uh, and I spoke it also in my maiden speech. I had one sentence of Luxembourgish and I told that to the interpreters before. So at least the people are aware that I have uh, also my own language even if we are not numerous to speak it, but we have it. So thank you for making that reference. And then uh, EU accession, a question how long the, uh, before the ratification? Well, I don't. I really don't know. And I'm not giving you uh, any date. We are working on it, but it's very difficult. I think politically we want to do it, but technically it's very difficult. Also with the two courts, I just give you that example, but there are uh, more uh, difficulties. So I'm not giving uh, you uh, uh, a date. And uh, well, that exam, I, 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 unfortunately, I failed. <laughs> and uh, then, uh, well, the uh, specific tasks and the voice of the Council of Europe uh, you just raised, I think I, um, I answered it uh, in, in, in saying that this voice is more important than ever and uh, that we need the support, we have the support of the national uh, uh, parli uh, parliaments at the parliamentary uh, assembly and we really have uh, to speak with one voice and to really uh, tell people outside that, as I said before, we can't take freedom for granted. Our, our ancestors, they fought for our freedom and now we were bro brought up in freedom but we have to fight for it. And in order to preserve that freedom and freedom of movement, freedom of uh, speech, freedom of association, we need a strong uh, democracy. And that's where we are fighting for. And I thank you for your interest and your support. Thank you very much. Mangatak. <laughs>